wild times. Woo! Here we are. It's the wild times. A very special episode indeed. My favorite thing about this episode is not that BTG is joining us. No, no, no. It's that Ritep is not here. That's my favorite part of this episode already. Um... Anyway, this is the Wild Times Podcast. I am your host, the broologist Forrest Galante. Joining me today is an adventure bro, BTG, Bradley yeah. Trevor Gee, friend of the pod. BTG, how you doing, brother? Good, mate. Good to be back. Even better that Ratep's not here. I was a bit worried we wouldn't have a devil's advocate, by which I mean token idiot, but I think we'll get by. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. And to mediate the, between these two uh, boffins of the biological sciences, Mr. Patrick DeLuca, the producer. What's up, Pat? Hey, pal. Uh, I'm happy to be sort of just the mediator between you two. I mean, you guys have a long-standing feud. Um, That's true. I think it's gonna. There's gonna be sparks flying. So it's, it's four just... inches, but it's thick around. So I feel yeah. like you know. Yeah, it's I about, still it's all win about, it's in all about the. It's, it's all about the girth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As we know. So BTG, let's address the elephant in the room, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your TV <laughs> show on Netflix has premiered. Uh, Adventure Beast, how's the feedback, dude? It's it's an amazing show. It is not what I expected, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, really? Not at um, all. I would ask you what your expectations were, but I don't care. What I will say, though, <laughs> is, uh, look, it, it's come out really well. Uh, I mean, we're not breaking records. Uh, we're, we're not Bird Box or The Maid, but we have made the popular Netflix list in the first uh, 72 hours. If you haven't seen the show, Adventure Beast on Netflix has only been out since the weekend. Uh, it's worldwide on Netflix. It's going great. I'm getting a ton of love from our kind of people. So, yeah. brosners yeah. and broologists, uh, broologists <laughs> adjacent. Um, uh, the people who love wildlife and wildlife adventures are really into it. And the audience is just growing every day. So, I hate to nice. say this, it's a success. Yeah. And if, if you bet against me, you can all get fucked. <laughs> it's uh it's awesome man i i was i've really been enjoying it it's funny i think i texted you you did um, and i was like hey sitting down to watch it pretty excited gonna binge it with my son my son's two years old by the way he nice. made it or rather i allowed him to make it about three minutes and i was like okay this is not for my son it's like there's like a full blood wipe as somebody's arm is being ripped off and i'm like you know I appreciate the hell out of this, but my two-year-old's not, not getting no, to watch my, the rest well, of this. My, my daughter's the same age as your son, and she's not yeah. watching it either. Look, right. it, is, it is listed as adult animation, and just to yeah. be clear, there's no offensive jokes in there. There's no profanity. No, uh, I should but, say that, yeah. But, but we stuck with uh, accuracy, and some of the things that I don't, even though I love, I love some of the Disney shows, I love BBC, Nature, I love all these things, but... What I dislike about them is how sanitized they are and mm -hmm. all these veils of censorship. Um, you know, we live in a world where animals live, die, reproduce, uh, you know, it's, and, and we wanted to get into all of that. So we are very accurate about what would happen in certain situations. And the other two things that drive me crazy about most wildlife shows, um, and I think we're all in the same boat here because we don't make those kind of shows, is that someone says they're going to look for X and they just find X. They don't see anything else. <laughs> right, and, right. and no one gets injured. I mean, tell me of a single production that either of you have been on where someone didn't get messed up in some way. Nope. Just, is this, whether you slip out of a boat on rocks or whether you take a, a thorn or some wait a while across the eyes, 
um, or, or, or a set of ram's horns to the nuts. It happens every single time. And so in, in, in Adventure Beast, uh, the, obviously the, the, the animated action is hilariously insane, it's but so the consequences fun. are accurate. If you mess with a bear, uh, you're going to get eviscerated. If you, yeah. you know, every animal that you pick, just because you love animals doesn't mean they love you back. That's right. <clears throat> even though you're trying to talk about them and, and be their champion for conservation, doesn't mean they want to be handled. And even if they don't mind it, doesn't mean they suddenly won't freak the hell out and right. just take it, take a chunk out of you. So we've dialed that up to 11, obviously. Had a lot of fun yeah. with it. It's not for little kids. Animals live, die, have sex, salivate, ejaculate on this show. But it is a lot of fun. It's 100% accurate. And I think most people, even uh, maybe especially the fans of this show, are going to be delighted by the strange and, you know, genuinely shocking array of wildlife facts, which are a little bit outside of what you'd normally hear or see. Now, if oh, you're no, keeping no it, question. if you're keeping it pretty close to as real as possible, you know, when I've been out in nature with you, you, you always have your cock out when you're looking for animals. <laughs> right, right. And that's, and that's, you know, you know, like you do water divining with a stick. So yeah. my, you know, my extended <laughs> penis draws me towards the highest concentration of dangerous wildlife. And that's so, just a gift, a gift that I have. Speaking of keeping it real and dangerous wildlife, I, I got to ask you a question. So I'm two thirds of the way through season one. Mm -hmm. um, is, so I got three, this is a three part question. Did you Excellent. actually have a beard at age 10? <laughs> no. Oh, all right, damn it. I was definitely no, but I remember. I no. remember. Forest, I remember being. I remember <laughs> being eleven. I remember being eleven and playing rugby. And there was a kid. His name was Eric Carrasco, and he was. Uh, he was actually. I, I said eleven. I, I was twelve. And I think he was eleven. He was a year younger than me, and he had a proper mustache. Yep. And there you go. and I was very intimidated by that <laughs> mustache. And I think maybe the seed for this glorious beard was planted by Eric Carrasco, who was a fabulous athlete too, by the way, really yeah, ran the helps. ball straight that and hard. Helps. And uh, <laughs> so I, I really went out of my way to try and hurt him because I felt if I could take his power, I would also take his moustache. And it didn't <laughs> work out for me until probably 15, 16, the fuzz started coming in. Okay, that's there part one. Go. What's part two? <laughs> uh, part two is, is it Billy or Bobby the baboon trainer? Was he a real person? Uh, he's a composite of several primatologists that I know okay. that um, have been bitten badly by various primates. I'm, I've, I mentioned this on the show before. I've always been a little bit frightened of primates. Um, I find them fascinating. But I think, uh, you know, most primates um, are the white trash of mammals. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and they will cut you with a knife uh, after just the one, one of shot mammals. of moonshine. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, I, I use the term frightened and I'll stand by it, but very wary of okay. primates and particularly the bigger ones. Baboons genuinely give me the willies. But uh, you've met Jane Goodall. I've met Jane Goodall. Uh -huh. She's missing two of her fingers, yep. um, bitten off by chimps. Now, if Jane Goodall, right. the, the earth mother Teresa of chimps, <laughs> has her fingers ripped off, ripped off through the bone with a bite. Think about how much intensity. Wow. Remember, chimps have a jaw that's stronger than ours, but not by a lot. So right. think about how much it, malevolent intent went into ripping off Jane right. Goodall's fingers. They if wanted that happened to do to, that. Yeah. If that happened to her, what <laughs> can we expect coming our way? So, um, yeah, so Barry the Baboon Man, 
is a composite of several primatologists I know okay. that have donated part of their person to a chimp's bowel. <laughs> well, I think you, uh, you no, hold, hold on, my third, yeah. you answered my third question, which was, are you actually scared of baboons? And, and yeah. you know, then we can dig into that, but uh, I think you just answered it, because, yeah, baboons are, baboons are nuts. Well, that's what, was, that's what I was going to ask go. you, Forrest, do you share BTG's sort of uh, not fear, but uh, extreme respect of the danger of, of primates in the wild? So, that's a good question. I should respect them more. <laughs> um, okay. I grew up with Chakma baboons in Zimbabwe, right? We have a lot of them. And I grew up with them my whole childhood. I had vervet monkeys as a kid. Um, you know, we rescued two of them. One of them, Chippy, I write about in my book, blah, blah, blah. And we used to torment the hell out of the baboons. And I think I've told some of these stories on the pod. One of the things we used to do is uh, there's a troop of baboons that lived on our farm. And we'd take sadza, which is like cornmeal, and we'd put a rubber snake inside of it. So first we'd take sadza and wrap it in newspaper and throw it to the baboons. And they'd furiously unwrap the, the newspaper and eat the sadza. And you do that like three or four times. Then you take a rubber snake, roll it in sadza, the cornmeal and then roll it in the newspaper and throw it out, and the baboons would get to it, furiously rip it out, and they'd bite it, and they'd see the snake, and they'd freak out and panic, and one would faint, and I mean, we used to torment the hell out of the baboons because, sort of like BTG says, they're, uh, they're the white trash of the, uh, the mammal world, so they're fun to mess with, and they'd mess with you back as well. In hindsight, when I think about some of the stuff we did, like we trapped a baboon on our houseboat once in Lake Kariba, uh, baiting him in with a loaf of bread, <laughs> I'm very lucky that I didn't get absolutely shredded. But, yeah. you know, I, I grew up with them, so I kind of always knew them. They were, like the, they were like a known idiotic danger that you could kind of toy with. So I think it's a slightly different level. But, uh, yeah, no, they're, 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 they could be terrifying for sure. But sure. We, we, as a teenager in, in Zimbabwe, they're like your main, you know, they're like your raccoon here in the U.S. Where you're like, oh, there's a raccoon in the trash can. I'm going to go throw it a banana. Except there we have baboons running around. Now that see that's an interesting comparison because <clears throat> raccoons and baboons are you know the majority of the troop are average size some young mm -hmm. some old whatever but then you have a baboonzilla and a raccoonzilla <laughs> you, you, and you get a big one that isn't taking any of your shit and they can all kill your dog and whatever else and that's yeah. you know that's the thing and so the baboon thing is uh, firstly you're an idiot for doing yes. that. Secondly, <laughs> it's wonderful that you didn't get messed up. Yes, but the other thing is <laughs> that kind of behavior, uh, which we've all done, uh, that kind of behavior, it's often not us, the, the big uh, rough and tumble chaps who get punished for it. It's the little right. kids. And right. uh, so when I was a kid growing up in Asia, we had lots of macaques, mm -hmm. you know, pigtail macaques, lion tail macaques. And uh, they'd be around and we'd throw food to them. And I was never mean to them. Um, but I remember two violent incidents, uh, neither of which were provoked. One was my sister, who's a year older than me, uh, one grabbed her hair through the fence and pulled her head into the iron bars, Oof. like really, really hard. And oh, we shit. had to, we grabbed, a, and we couldn't get at it, and we had to grab a bunch of sticks and we started jabbing it through, the, through this huh. iron bar fence. And the other one uh, bit the nose off our friend's three-year-old daughter. Um, Jesus. Holy so, shit. Yeah, so the point is that baboons, like all intelligent mammals, make a risk assessment prior to an attack. And, um, and so if they think they can do you, they'll do you. And if they don't, they won't. 
But the thing that throws us off about the drunken white trash that is the chakma baboon <laughs> it is that the mob mentality. Yeah, and exactly. how things how exactly. we could call it a pack mentality, but it's not. It's more of a, mob, a mob mentality, like people, yeah. because when the switch is flicked, and suddenly you get 50, 60, 100, 300, depending on how the size of the troop is. It's all just going, it's, it's January 6th at the White House, but baboons doing <laughs> shit that they would never normally do. And that's how they tear leopards to pieces. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and that's how they tear apart a hyena. Things they would never actually attack. And so even though the record of baboons killing people is virtually zero, they have attacked children and they'll do it again. And chimps, in some cases, as you well know, uh, what's the name? Victoria National Park, whatever it is down yeah. in... Um, yeah. Well, they, yeah. They hunt... They hunt other primates, and mm-hmm. they've been known to hunt kids. Yep. So you've got to be careful. Um, but yeah, they do. They give me the willies because I know they're thinking just as clearly as I am about what they're going to do. Uh, but what they're going to do is very, very dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do want to be clear in case this is anybody's first time listening to this pod. Obviously, I'm not endorsing harassing wildlife or baboons. It's just when you grow up and you're a kid and you mess with stuff, it's like catching a slimy frog and throwing it at your friend when you're 12 years old, right? It's, yeah. We yeah. all do it. It's just in Zimbabwe, it's on a different level. It, um, well, it happens to be, yeah, it happens <laughs> right. to be animals that here seem incredibly exotic. Right. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, that's, as you say, that's your, I mean, raccoon is, is a good example because it's an animal that's incredibly dangerous in close quarters if you, you get a big one that's ornery. Right. But at the same time, they're also mischievous and hilarious and into exactly. everything. Exactly. So, no, I get it. No one thinks you're a complete dick except for Ratep, who's not here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I I had, I rescued um, a vervet monkey when I was growing up, right? It was abandoned by its troop. We were tilling the field and we found this little blue-colored vervet monkey, you know, shivering by himself. And we rescued him. We later found out, three years later, he died of a heart palpitation. So his troop had actually abandoned him because his mother because could tell he was, he was defective. Weak. Ouch, exactly, yeah. yeah. And Chippy was, for all intents and purposes, my best friend. I loved this monkey. He used to sleep in the top of my mosquito net like a bunk mm. bed. I'd get out of bed uh. in the morning. He'd hop onto my shoulder. We'd go to breakfast. He'd run in the oatmeal and push in my dad's hair. My dad would try and kill him like three, week, three mornings a week. I mean, we had like the most hilarious relationship. Um, <laughs> But the reason I tell this story is because Chippy, and, and again, vervet monkeys are not like baboons. They're small, they're still mischievous, but they're, they're, they're shy, they're small, they're quiet, you know, they're not like a big chakma baboon. And Chippy was still such, even with a defective heart and as a baby, when he hit adolescence, he was mm. still such a troop animal. And he looked for who he could pick on that was weaker and younger, yeah, to further your point, PTG. And this was my little sister. So my little sister, Summer, is two years younger than me. And, you know, we obviously grew up in the same household. And Chippy never bit me once. I mean, you know, nibbles and things and, like, roughhousing and stuff never bit me, never f- messed with my mom, my dad, anybody in the house. But my little sister, who was, you know, a foot shorter than me and two years younger than me, was his target 24 7. so if he was on my shoulder and i walked into her room or she came into the playroom or something he would launch at her start ripping her hair out biting her neck i mean he just hated my little sister and it wasn't because she was mean to him nothing she actually tried to like like him 
but it was because she was the smallest and the weakest in the troop, and Chippy was like, all right, I'm going to establish my place as, like, one above her and just constantly belittle and degrade her. And, yeah, anyway, (laughs) needless to say, my dad and my sister felt the same about Chippy. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, that they're trying to uh, ascend the social order because that gives them, uh, at the genetic level, they know that gives them greater access to food and sexual rights and territory, and so... They work out where they are by who's beneath them and who's above them. I tell right. you a trick that I learned in the Amazon. If I told you this before, but I was with a a, a native Amazonian uh, guy called Yuri, and we were up the uh, Amazon Negro, and we were at this. We we're working with the Amazon Rangers, but basically their primary role is to um, uh, to capture poachers and the monkeys and the parrots that were selling. They were capturing. For the pet trade, of course, we don't, they won't ever tell you where they got them, so you can't right. put them exactly where they have to be. But they go through a quarantine place. Is this Peru, Peruvian Amazon. Uh, no, this is uh, this is Brazil. It's about three hours north of Manaus or northwest. Okay, yeah. And um, and so they had this quarantine island, one for parrots, one for primates, and they'd put them there for three months. If they didn't have disease, they'd start opening the cages for a soft release. And anyway. Long story short, there was a woolly monkey there, which is a particularly beautiful type of uh, new world monkey. Oh, and retap! Hey! All right, I gotta go. See you guys. I'll take over from here. Everybody can go now, except for BTG. (laughs) We were were just talking about the drunken white trash of mammals. And here you are. Fuck off. I made it for uh, for five minutes. Pat, why do you look so angry? All right. Because your connection is trash. Oh, is it? What are you using, like, a, like, like two plastic cups and string? What the hell is that? Is it, is it no good? <laughs> is it not working? Well, I can we, can, we can see you, unfortunately. It's but not great. <laughs> what about now? Can you hear me now? How's the move going? Give us a quick check-in, and then we're yeah. going to get back to animal stories. Tell us how is your she, move's going. Is Tell your us. girlfriend carrying the heavy boxes while you do this? Is that what this is about? That's what this is about. The movers are uh, the truck all right. almost spilled... Uh, all right, fuck off, Pat. Fuck you, BTG. Uh, all right, Forest, you're, you're, you're garbage. F off. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Have fun. <laughs> it's not working. Uh, so, uh, so actually, yes. that, was, that was the most lucid uh, protect's ever been. Um, <laughs> anyway, so as I was saying, we were, uh, we had this, there was a woolly monkey, a young woolly yeah. monkey that, by sheer coincidence, was born during quarantine. So even though its mother was released, it could have hung around and was doing the soft release thing for its entire life because it was semi-domesticated by virtue of the fact that it had access to food. And mm-hmm. most of the monkeys would gradually filter their way back into the rainforest. And woolies are naturally, correct me if I'm wrong, BTG, I don't mean to interrupt your story, but they're naturally pretty shy and elusive, right? They're not something yeah. you get very close to very often. Yeah, they're they're quite a robust monkey, but they don't tend to come down to the ground very much. And right. uh, anyway, they're very beautiful, very dense fur, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit like an otter. Um, yeah, they're stunning. Uh, anyway, this one was, as I said, by sheer chance, became semi-domesticated. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was hanging around there for a while. I had obviously hadn't showered for several days. I smelled like a monkey's ass. It befriended <laughs> me, but it kept trying on this dominance thing and was biting me pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And at one point, split up on my thumb and so forth. And Yuri, my friend, uh, indigenous friend, he goes, you got to bite it back. you got to bite it back hard. Oh, yeah. Like, and I said, really? He goes, it's the only way it'll respect you. So I grabbed his little skull and I bit his ear incredibly hard. <laughs> and he screamed. He screamed like the second coming. And then he was fine. And he's just like, okay, 
you're my big monkey daddy now. And, yeah. and we got on great for the remainder of my tour. So, you know, you've got to learn how to connect with them at their level. You can't reason with them. Right. And giving them treats uh, to try to win their favor, not like a dog. That's the opposite. It, it, yeah, it's it the, does opposite. the opposite. It just, yeah. it just says, wow, you're, propiti- you're, you're propitiating to me because I'm some sort of god. You really are nothing. So you've actually got to kind of give the pain back in order to communicate that this monkey is not your boss. I mean, That's it basically... What you're describing is the exact process of American males in middle school. I mean, <laughs> yeah, y- or prison, have, or prison. Yeah, but it's like this is middle school. You got five elementary schools all coming together. Mm-hmm. Everyone, and then there's about seventy-five fistfights in the first month because people are sort of establishing their place in the pecking order. That's right. And then it's all fine after that. Yeah. <laughs> There's something to be said for that, and that, and that, well, that, that makes sense because we often think of many of these, even these, these top level primates, and obviously the brain size in a primate can range from anything from a tiny loris or a potter with a with a brain the size of a soybean, through to uh, you know a gorilla or orangutan or even a, a gelada monkey, which has a huge brain relative to its body size. So you know, like people, uh, the levels of intelligence vary, but. In general terms, they're about as intelligent as a small child. So child politics, child conflict, child wars at school, if you can relate to it at that level, you'll probably do okay. That's funny. So did you make an Adventure Beast episode out of that? Is there one? Do I get to see you biting the monkey in any of the shows? You know what? I didn't. I should make a note. If we're lucky enough to get a second season uh, of Adventure Beast, I'll put it in there. But there is a reference to it. So one of the highlights of that trip was uh, dealing with uh, uh, Wakaris or Yukaris, depending on how uh-huh. you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Those, these are the ones that uh, there are a red... Uh, there are different types, black face, white face, and red face. But the ones that I saw, the red face Wakari is, again, a very unique monkey. It has, uh, it's, it's gifted, uh, all monkeys mostly gifted in the trees, but this one's really special, like an acrobat. has a thick club-like tail, so it can't hang on to anything with it. But it uses it as a counterweight, which all tails work as counterweights, mm-hmm. but in the air more effectively than any other monkey I know. So you'll see them doing a backflip from one tree to the other and using their, their tail. It's like completely unreasonable. Like you can just jump it, but they go, oh no, I'm gonna Spider-Man this shit. And, right. uh, and they love, they're actually, they, everyone was saying how impossible it was to get near them. I'll give you the tip. If you wanna see a Wakari and you, you, know, you sense them in the trees, get yourself a full Brazil nut, okay? The, the full thing, which is about the size of a small orange. Mm-hmm. It's hard as hell. Break it open, and then inside the segments, also like an orange, you, you standard Brazil nut that you'd buy in a store, right. get your knife and split down the side of it till you get this perfect wedge of a nut. They're so hard to open, the wakaris and the monkeys are throwing them from the trees, and if you get hit in the head with that, you know, you tend to stay down for a while. It's really hard. <laughs> but they're so hard to open with the outside armor and the inner armor that if you pull out fresh Brazil nut flesh, you get... You'll bring all the monkeys in the world to you. And I was able to get them to me to eat out of my hand after about an hour. And then I'd sort of get them on my shoulder and then walk away from the tree. And once they couldn't jump to the tree, they would just sit there like a, like a trained parrot and eat the nuts. Oh. It, was, uh, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. So the Wakari does make an episode, I think it's eight or nine, as part of a, a, part of a story about uh, animal smuggling. But it's, it, was, it was a very special trip. And I recommend if you haven't done your time in the Amazon, go to it. But also, if you can volunteer to help the Amazon rangers repatriate these poached uh, animals, it's a, it's a really rewarding experience. Yeah, and that's a citizen science program that pretty much anybody can do, right? You just sign yeah. up and go. Yeah, just be, just be fit enough to carry a pack for a few days. 
they, they hunt a lot of food along the way. Uh, we, uh, we, we most, we, we uh, I say we, other people, uh, <laughs> shot some fish with a bow and arrow and uh, we ate the fish and just had a great time. We lived simply and it was really great. We even made cocktails, which we served in uh, giant tropical flowers as cups. It oh, was just a fun. R- really fun, made a ton of traps, humane traps. I learned a lot of bush skills from them. I, I really recommend it. So one of my favorite parts, and I know this episode is not just all about your show, but one of my favorite parts of your show is, is the end credits, or I guess the after the end credits almost, where you and your niece are, is that your home? Where are In you In the guys? show? In the show, yeah. When it goes oh, out no. of animation and into, into real whatever you call it. So it's, it's, no, it's a set. It's a big set, uh, okay. soundstage. It was across from Paramount, but it was meant to be modeled off my home. So okay. it was, it's, it's like my home dialed up to 11 with uh, all sorts of, normally, obviously. We're I in thought the it con- was your home when I first saw it, but I just, uh, I couldn't tell. It looks like it, but it's, yeah. it's, so we're in the middle of construction now, so it doesn't look the same, but normally you see all the crap in the background. We've got the kind of adventure chic bullshit that all of us have, mm-hmm. um, you know, except for, Pat, who whatever lives in a dungeon, apparently on this show, that but it um, does, yeah, but it, it has all that. So a lot of the props are just are my props, which makes it even look more like my home because it's yep. actually my stuff. But that was yeah, the live action was fun, and it was supposed to be a much bigger part of the show. It was supposed to be thirty percent of the show, but in the process of production, um, the tone shifted went from a kids show to an adult show to a teen mm-hmm. show back to an adult show, and so by the time we finished the live action, it was pitched a little bit low. So we ended up, and this is all directed by Zach Bornstein from Saturday Night Live, and it was very funny, and I loved doing it. Um, but now it's just a few special stings with real animals at the end. I mean, we had everything, giraffe, yaks, um, big 1,000-pound camels, lots of little critters. I mean, it was, uh, we just had, I think we had about 70 different animals come through, uh, alligators. It was so much fun, so much fun, and amazed that no one died. I mean, I got stung, obviously, by scorpions about half a dozen times a day. But <laughs> Denise, who, Cabanella, who plays my niece, Bonnie, she was so fearless. Oh, and, she's not uh, your niece. That's not your real no, niece. No, she's inspired by my real niece, whose name is Jessica. And she's a geologist okay. from Central Australia. But uh, Denise is an actress, but she was so fun. I, I loved her straight away because first, first day on set, she sees me getting the scorpions out. And then I, I had I had I had giant Africans. I had I had, sorry, I had emperors. I had um, forest giant forest scorpions. And I had uh, uh, hair, uh, giant hairy desert scorpions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting them all out. And because you don't want to use one too much, because they get tired and stress. So you you know, get about two shots with each. You put it away. You get another one. And the audience, I mean, this audience might pick it up, but most people can't tell the difference between one scorpion and another. So right. I'm swapping them out all the time. And of course, every now and then you get you get zapped. Uh, it's not too bad. It's like a wasp sting. It's not great. I was gonna. I was gonna ask. I've always been curious about uh, how bad a scorpion sting is. Uh, well, you know, down in Florida, you get them in your shoes, like where my dad lived in Key West, and you just see them skittering across the kitchen floor. It's, so it's not that bad. Well, some it of them are terrible. Yeah, some yeah. of them are very bad. You get a box scorpion from Arizona, and you're probably going to go to the ER. Gotcha. Um, and and particularly if you have any kind of heart condition. I, one of the general rules of thumb for scorpions and is, uh, and this isn't 100% accurate, but it's probably good to keep in the back of your mind, is that the lethality of their venom is inversely proportional to their size. So some and of the, the biggest, of most... pincers in particular. Yeah, so yeah. some of the most spectacular looking scorpions, like, for example, the giant African or emperor scorpion, this is a big, big, big arachnid. I mean, it's huge. 
And it, it's about a bee sting plus. You know, I mean, it's painful. No one ever felt better after being stung <laughs> by one. But then you get some of these small ones from Australia and other places and, and they'll put you in the hospital. And if you have an existing condition, might even cause a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, in America, most of the scorpions are quite small. Um, but again, you've got the bark scorpion in, uh, in uh, the southwest that is incredibly deadly and painful. Gotcha. But you also have the, the giant heritage, which looks more impressive. But again, it's like a wasp thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. painful, but, you know... It's not like, in all respect to Cody Peterson, who's always screaming because he's a drama student, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not right. that bad. I mean, I, I remember getting stung by, uh, getting, uh, stung by a, a Sonoran giant centipede. And again, oh. they, can be, they can be fatal if you yeah, are small. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not good, yeah. It's not great. Um, they can be fatal if you're small or have a heart condition. Again, not great, but it felt, it felt like... Um, it was both incredibly painful and it felt kind of cold in my finger oh, where it got me. Yeah. And, and, then it, and this will sound strange. I felt like there was a bell ringing in my finger and that lasted mm. for about 20 hours, just less than a day. Um, and just for those Sounds. who are listening, uh, again, don't, if you don't have to pick these things up, don't do it. But here's my <laughs> go. I don't know what you use, Forrest, but when I get stung by any uh, venomous uh, insect or arachnid, my go-to, obviously not high-level stuff like a, yeah. a funnel web or what's going to kill you. But anything of this sort of medium to lower level, what I do straight away is I take an antihistamine tablet mm-hmm. and I take two ibuprofen. I drink um, electrolytes, so Gatorade or whatever you prefer, and then I clean it and I wipe it down and, I, and if I feel any tingling, I put on an anti- a steroid cream. And I do that immediately, and I've never had a problem, and I've been stung or bitten by, obviously, a lot. My, so, my go-to is Benadryl, hot water, sleep. So wherever you st- <laughs> take a bunch of Benadryl, wherever you've stung, put it in the hottest water you can tolerate to try break up the venom a little bit, take a nap. What about, chick- what about chicken spit? <laughs> I know where he's spit? getting this from. Okay, where, what is chicken spit? I'll bite I can't remember? remember. I just remember that we were advised to use chicken spit. Oh, it was in Vietnam. It was Vietnam. It was That's the right. big, um, uh, what the hell's the name of those centipedes they have there? Well, they're um, also the same. They're the same, they're the same family. They're still Scolopendra. Yes. Uh, but they have the giant forest centipede with those yellow legs. Yes, and, exactly. And then they also have a variety that actually can swim underwater, which is such a mind-bending thing to have oh, a centipede come, come out of the humus of the rainforest and then swim underwater like a submarine. And <laughs> that's crazy. There's, like, there's no way to get away from that thing. Uh, yeah, you were handling, Forrest, you were handling it. It was a very large black centipede with really, uh, like, brilliant red legs. Yeah, yellow yellow and red legs. Or yellow giant, and red legs. Yeah, I don't remember the species anymore. I don't know my centipedes that well. But I do remember the local guys were being like, oh, if you get bitten, you need chicken spit. And we were all like, well, how the hell do you get chicken spit? <laughs> 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 we never found out. They never, never told us. I, I don't they know. were ready to get some for us. Is, yeah. that, yeah. is, that, is that a local term for something else, like moonshine? or it, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, because I know, I know yeah. a lot of people when I was in the Army, that it's like whatever you got, any kind of tropical rash or a bite or a plant that inflamed you, everyone's like, oh, you got to piss on it. Everyone's got to piss on it. And yeah, I rem- everybody and has I, to. And I was like, <laughs> the whole okay. Team. And I just, I remember some guy, are you familiar with Gimpy Gimpy or Gimpy Bush? I'm not. It's it's the most hellacious plant on the planet. Uh, it okay. grows in in northern Australia. It doesn't look that bad. It's okay. a tree like shrub. 
Okay. And it has a large uh, kind of heart-shaped leaf. And it's often, there's a particular insect that loves it, so it often has holes in it. It's kind of a yellowy green. Mm-hmm. It, the leaves sit flat, so, for, so on a horizontal flat leaf. And the bottom side is covered in fine pale hairs. hairs. Mm-hmm. And you get that on you, and there is nothing in this world, in the plant world, that compares to that pain. Yeah. Uh, G G I G Y M P I E. Gimpy bush, gimpy tree, gimpy gimpy. These are all the names for it. It's just it's just devastating pain. And here's the beauty of it. Unlike stinging nettle or other things that ivy that get you for a little while, it stays with you for months and years. And oh, wow. a little bit like a little bit like prickly heat, certain conditions or malaria, it brings it back. Huh. And and uh, so it's very hard. And I remember we were doing a a training exercise there in the army at Jungle Warfare School, which is full of this stuff. And there was a, a fallen tree in the rainforest, which we were crossing. And you know how slippery those get in the tropics. Oh, yeah. And, of course, having destroyed the canopy, now you've got this secondary rainforest that just just gimpy everywhere. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys fell off the thing. I don't know if it was a gunner or something with a ton of weight. Fell off and rolled in the gimpy bush. It's got him everywhere, and Oof. we ended up we ended up medivacking, and that's how painful. Oh it was. God! Oh wow! But everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you just piss on it, and it does nothing. It does absolutely <laughs> nothing, except for the guy who enjoys pissing on people. It does absolutely nothing." <laughs> hey, Forrest, have you seen? Uh, so David, I talked to David Carr, who was uh-huh. the producer in the field when we did the pilot for Extinct or Alive um, out in Tasmania. He's the showrunner of a show that I wasn't even aware of called Kings of Pain on History Channel. Have you seen this, Forrest? Uh, Yeah. My my buddy Rob is one of the guys. um, He's a herpetologist from Southern California. Bradley, I don't know if you know him or not, um, but he's a herpetologist from Southern California. He's one of the two hosts. And nice. King of Pain is literally, it's funny, I didn't know David Carr was showrunning that. It's such a small yeah. world. I know. Um, one of the, I mean, it's literally just a show that's a knockoff of Coyote Peterson's thing. That's what right? it sounds like. It sounds like they just took Coyote's YouTube idea and made a TV series. That's 100% what they did. And they were doing it, you know, for science to rate the pain indexes of animals. And it's just, you just... The, sh- the Schmidt index, they're just going to take it up to 11 and just keep adding animals yeah, to it? That's yeah. That. And then they're just, and they're literally just like, you know, it's it's like watching a train wreck. You're just sitting there waiting for them to get bitten or terrorized by something. But, um, and, and I'm curious to know why you brought this up, Patrick, but one of the reasons, I want, one of the things I wanted to say about it, Rob now has permanent ligament damage in his left hand because he decided to take a bite from, I want to say it was a retic, but it was some big python, maybe an African rock. And it, yeah. you know, they've got interlocking recurved teeth that are just, just awful. And I've been bitten by lots of pythons and boas, but small ones. And, you know, usually when it's a big one, I, I avoid it at all costs. Yeah. He went there and did it intentionally and took it like right here on the forearm. And, Yuck. uh, he, he can't move like two of his fingers anymore. Thanks to wow. a show that paid him, you know, five thousand dollars an episode. To I be was gonna say destroyed. That is um, such a that's such a retepian move. Did he? <laughs> did he um, was there a secondary infection in there, or did it, did it tear a ligament? I mean, what? No, did he it do? severed one or several of the ligaments in his forearm that connect. And he couldn't all get it way. reattached. Apparently not. Um, he's got permanent damage. I mean, he can move his fingers and whatnot. I don't see him very often, but, you know, he was telling me about it. He can move his fingers, but they're like, you know, it's like very limited. I don't really know, but it was enough that this one python bite on the upper part of his forearm 
has impacted the rest of his life with moving his fingers. That's for wild. A show, you know, for a show that I'm sure they paid him like two to five thousand dollars an episode plus hospital bills, and that correct. Was it. You know what I mean? It's like they got nothing out of it. It's um, yeah. The reason yeah, I asked. That's a, shame. that's a shame. And I'll throw this to you first, Forrest. What is the worst pain you've ever felt from an animal? So. This doesn't include the snake bite that you got when you were a kid because yeah, I don't know yeah, how much yeah. of that you felt, but just None the stinging, yeah. brutal pain where you're like, oh, my God, this sucks. What is your, what is your dead fucking last? Um, I th- it's one of two things. Uh, it's either a bullet ant that I got in Panama, which I'm sure, BTG, have you been hit by a bullet ant? Oh, yeah. Where I come yeah. from, we have a super version of that called the jumping jack. And, uh, there you go. Yeah, it's just a hypodermic syringe with six legs. I mean, it's horrific. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> so the bullet ant was really bad. And then one that, like, I really had to suck it up, and this, this aired, of course, was those parasitic wasps that we were being stung with uh, in Colombia mm-hmm. during that Amazon thing. And I, you know, it, was a, it wasn't that each one was, each one was excruciating, but it, yeah. only, it was temporary. But it was the fact that, you know, at any given time, you were getting like 12 to 15 stings per, per five minutes. So it was just mm. this constant. And they went away within two or three minutes, but it was such a constant pain. And then it swelled up and it was super hot and bubbly. So I was like, it's fine. Suck it up because I wanted Mitch to keep filming and us to keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like yeah, yeah, on the yeah, inside, yeah. I was crying a lot. <laughs> no, that, that when you get that giant, because it's a big thing. People think that the wasp sting is like a bee sting. It's like a separate thing. It's not. It's it's no. an ovipositor. It's a dual purpose uh, organ, and it delivers so much pain, and it can just keep going and keep yeah. going. And it's a dirty needle, so you yeah. get shit in there as well, and it often gets sticky and yucky. And no, a wasp, wasp big wasps are, are, are some of the ugliest things for sure. BTG, what's your absolute number one most painful damage that you've taken from an animal? Well, like my bearded friend, unfortunately, we have a fairly long list to choose from. It's, <laughs> yeah. So I, I might give you a different answer on a different day. But I remember one that I just knew I'd made a very poor judgment. And that was in French Polynesia, and we got a coconut crab. Oh, and God. Don't tell and me you got a coconut. I love the coconut crab. I, I mean, I have done several Pat's math segments where I add up the, <laughs> the squeezing power of a coconut crab. So, so we got a coconut crab, and it was a good size. It wasn't like a record, but it was a big coconut crab. And I shaved a little area on my arm, and I, I tried to induce it to, to just grab some of the skin. So I kept it out here. I wasn't stupid to give it a finger or... I'm not a complete, you know, one of my nuts. I wasn't, you know, so I, I, I just <laughs> pop, put that. Pop a anyway, now we can all take a, a pinching, right? We can all take a pinching. And you know when you're a kid and someone grabs your nipple and says whistle and you struggle through it. But this, it was just so unbelievable. And I knew <laughs> instantly I had made a terrible, terrible mistake <laughs> because it compressed this piece of skin down to nothing, like down to a piece of paper. And uh, it was very painful. And I, I started at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, a biological level, just like flight instinct. How do I get this out? And I couldn't get it out. And I couldn't open the thing. And I, had a, I got a screwdriver, two screwdrivers, and we were in between the claws just trying to get it open. And in the end, the only way I could get it out is I started messing with its cloaca and I started putting my thumb <laughs> up its butt, not actually up it, but, you know, in the back there, like it was, and, and, it, and it turned to take on my other hand. And what the net result was, 
that the skin in that area died. I'm and sure. it became kind of an abscess and then uh, it sort of flaked off. But it just, it, I just, it was like, you ever see that stuff on YouTube? You can watch this uh, machine press crush things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like that, at a, at a, but a living creature. The power. I thought, oh, it's a pinch. How bad can a pinch be? Right. Um, answer is uh, it's really, really bad. And yeah. uh, don't, much, don't do it. How much bruising did you have around that? Like just from? Well, that was, or was it just thing. that spot that died. It was. Basically? It was just that spot that well, two spots, and then there was bruising in the middle, and that flaked out as well. But it just died. It was huh. just. It just. It literally killed off whatever it touched, just with sheer pressure. It was just. Wow. It, was, it sticks out because it was so incredibly painful, but also, as I said, I just completely misjudged it. Oh, it's a crab. How right. bad can it right. be? <laughs> right. Really bad. Right. And, uh, and uh, so that was, that was one of the ones that I remember because I just remember thinking, you are such an idiot. Um, well, and, and that stuck I, with me. I was just going to say, so just a quick, so Belgian Malinois, depends on what source you look at, but are often cited as the dog with the strongest bite force. Mm. Um, They're often used by like police units and stuff. They're the Mm. dogs you often see running after a suspect who's running through a field and they take them down. And And anti-poacher units in Africa, they're they're very popular there. The the coconut crab's pinch force is between three and four times the bite force of a Belgian Malinois. Mm. Right, and and concentrated into right. a much smaller area than the yeah. size of a dog's jaws. And I've yes. heard that pound, yeah, pound for pound, they're, they're basically sixty times stronger than a gorilla. You know, That's so wild. They're, they're, it's just insane. Anyway, yeah. don't be messing with those coconut crabs. And uh, I mean, there are plenty of other incidents that were painful, but that one, that one, it was just so absurd. I just thought this wasn't, this wasn't, this was avoidable. I did it yeah. to myself. It's yep. too bad. Um, it's too bad. Retep's not here because I know for a fact that he would ask if they're called coconut crabs because they taste like coconut when you eat them. <laughs> I don't think they're edible, are they? Uh, no, I people mean, do indi- eat them. No, indigenous Australians eat them. eat them, but I know that no one in French Polynesia was eating them, and I thought that's crazy because they're everywhere. And they think that they'd be delicious. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I've heard they're quite tough. So, and also. You have an embarrassment of seafood riches everywhere else. I don't exactly. know why you would. It doesn't go for seem the- like it would be. It's, it's like in Africa, right? It's it's funny because here in the states, people are always like, "Oh my god, can you eat it?" Whatever, you know. People are eating fucking possum and raccoon and all kinds of things. And then you go to Africa, where like basically all the animals are delicious, and most of the native people are like, "No, we why would we eat that? <laughs> like that's that's absurd. Like we've got we've got eland over there. Why would we mess with the impala? You know." And it's sure, um, it's, sure. yeah, it's so funny when you have that sort of variety of options in the animal world, and you're just like, "No, I'm not going to eat these other things. Like I'll just eat the good stuff." Um, well, also, also in the case of coconut crabs, it's just like you've got this incredible red tuna just outside the reef, a whole bunch of incredible fish outside the reef and, oh, yeah. and lobster and everything. But it's just like why would I eat the giant robot hand that's eating my garbage? You know, <laughs> that's what it looks like. And it's just every night we just hear this bin get tossed over. And you'd go in there, it'd be like three or four coconut crabs just like ripping open the garbage, ripping yeah. open cans and eating whatever was in there. They're just <laughs> ridiculous. So a lot of our Brosners are much younger than we are. We are we are older gentlemen. They don't look up to us, but we've been around yeah. the three of us. We've all been around longer than the vast majority of our listeners. And so sure. I, I came up with a new little game. I assigned you guys a task last night. 
We're going to mm-hmm. debut a new a new game, and I think people will like will like this. It's called Five Little Joys. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's here's the idea. It's just five <laughs> pro tips from. We'll go one at a time. We'll we'll each talk about them. Just little things that make your life better. Now these are not heady pieces of advice that you're no. going to hear on motivational speeches. These are just no, little. Not. No, no, no. If you're <laughs> if you start are. preaching, I'm going to mute you. I'm, I'm, I just <laughs> I just I just brought a whole bunch of scripture. Right? That's what I was going to do. So this is five little joys, pro tips from people that are twice your age. Forrest, go first. All Go. five or just one at a just, time? Just one at a time. We'll throw them out. Okay. All right. Making your bed. Now, <laughs> younger Brosners, no, listen to me. Hear me out now. Younger Brosners are like, I'm no, I don't make my fucking bed. Why would I make my bed? And I'm with you. Until about age 27, I don't think I ever made a bed. Sure. But now I get up. I loathe making my bed in the morning. I drink my cup of coffee first. Then I go back to the bedroom to make the bed. But mm-hmm. when I get into a nicely made bed, at night when I'm tired, it is infinitely better than getting into an unmade bed where the sheets are all tangled up by your feet and then everything's a mess. And sure, sure, just, sure. You don't know where your pillows are. You get into a nicely made bed. It's like you've just gone to a nice hotel room. Yeah. Okay. I love that. BTG, nice. what's your first little joy that you can impart? I'm going to, yeah. Uh, my first tip is to grow a small herb garden. Okay. Ah, yeah. Nice. I, I used to, I used to years ago when I was in Tasmania, I used to do a weekend radio show and, and, and for like four hours on a Sunday. And one hour is about food because obviously, you know, yeah. a man likes to eat. And um, I used to uh, get famous chefs on and talk about things. And I, I said, what, what, what's, the, what's the smallest, cheapest things you can do to make your meals better? And they said, they, they gave me three tips. And one was use good salt and pepper. The other is use good olive oil. And the last one was use fresh herbs and or herbs, as you would say in America. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you disavow the assonance no of the letter H. Absolutely I don't care. makes but, no sense. But <laughs> you can, you can with a very small amount of real, real estate, one tiny pot or a tray, you can plant some basil and uh, some thyme and uh, rosemary, um, cilantro, unless it makes Hell it sick. Hell yeah. There's a bunch of different herbs and a tiny tray in a windowsill, spray it with a mister every day. You add fresh herbs to whatever shitty meal or TV dinner you heat it up. <laughs> right. And it elevates it, and it just makes everything taste better. It's like a little comfort that you can elevate every meal and makes everything this. a little fresher and nicer. It's super easy. It, even Retep could do it. Grow some fresh herbs. I see. This is a this is the best segment we've ever done because <laughs> I, thousands of people are actually going to do a couple of these. Like, what a great idea! Like, that's a great idea. You know what? Making the bed. Thankfully, Christina makes the bed every morning. But uh, <laughs> these are actionable tips. Good one, Bradley. Here's my first one. Let's hear it. Treat. Treat the flight. Is someone taking a piss? Oh, I, I was just mixing some uh, Kahlua into my coffee. So. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> that boy. Treat the flight to and from any trip, whether it's a vacation or a work trip, but it's specifically vacation. Day one's going to be a flight. The last day is going to be a flight. Treat it like it's part of the vacation. That's oh, interesting. Nice. The flight is part of the fun. Embrace it and treat it as such. Interesting. So if you get to the airport... Start the party right then. Get there an hour early. 
order a cheeseburger, have three or four. I, I'm not two drinks. Have three or four drinks. This is a good tip because I yeah. hate the fucking travel day. I get stressed Agreed. out. I get angry. I know. Like, Same. I'm struggling Same. with people. Like, well, and most vacations are a week long, and two sevenths of it are travel days. So mm. you're just you're shrinking a seven day vacation down to five, unless mm. you take my pro tip number one. That's I like good. it. Forrest, like what's it. your number two? Uh, yeah, number two pro tip, calling something really fun work. So what you do, and huh. we can anybody can do this. Don't think cool. that I'm the only one that, or Bradley or us three are the only people that can do this because what we do for work is cool. Anyone can do this. You tell everybody you got work to do, you're busy, and then you find a way to make some to do something fun and write it off as work. If it's Patrick and I, and Patrick, you know this very well. Like Patrick it, yeah. and I, we're like, we got work to do. So we sit around, we drink 12 beers, and we bullshit on ideas that we could make a TV show out of, right? right. That's work. Mm. But it's really fun because I get to hang out with one of my best friends and drink a bunch yeah, of yeah. beers and talk. But it's mm. work, you know? Whether, you I know, like this. maybe you're golfing and you're trying to, you're trying to uh, sign some account or something. I don't fucking know what job you do. You're out golfing. It's fun. But call it right. work. Don't, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to other people. Just call it work. It is work. So find something really fun. Call it work. I like I that. that. Because yeah. it's about mentally. Because a lot of people who are busy or successful tend to beat themselves up. Right. For the time that they're not working, it's just sort of beaten into our heads that we have to be so focused. Right. So, yeah, I'm out golfing, but I'm working. I love it. But you're working. Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit like your airport thing. It's a mental – it's just a mental way right. of looking at something that you're doing. Call it work. I Beautiful. love that so much. This is a nice shift. Um, <laughs> all right. My, my next point is, is just general advice and the field and so forth. And it's like – it's this. Never buy a knife that's bigger than your dick. Okay. Okay. So, don't don't do it. Um, as soon as if you see a guy with a big knife, he's compensating. He doesn't know what he's. There you go. So that's this forest knife. This is this is this is my actual field knife. It's just a it's just a short blade, nice and thick, SV30 steel. Doesn't have to sharpen it all the time. And and you never buy a big knife. You're only going to stab yourself in the leg with it at some point. True. It's going to snap at the tip. It's just True. useless. That the whole Bowie story is just a drunken bum stabbing people in a bar. It's all bullshit. <laughs> don't, get a, don't, don't get a Bowie knife. If you're serious about fieldcraft, you buy a hatchet. Yeah, it, hatchets are the tool. Um, I have, as Pat will, I have a ton of hatchets. I use them all the time. I keep them mm -hmm. in great condition. This is called a small forest axe. Obviously, as a big guy, I use a, this is actually a small forest axe. It's bigger than a hatchet. Um, I keep it in beautiful condition. Um, this is only been in the field once. I clean it when I come back. Here's the always get a flat back on the head. Now it's a hammer for putting in pegs and smashing stuff. You can not just, it's a wonderful tool. It's good for blazing. Plus, if you need to get up a, a, a soft uh, wall, so not obviously hard rock, but certainly limestone or clay, you slam this in the side, it becomes a step. Same with the tree. All oh, your yeah. traps and all your field craft, everything you can do with a knife, you can do it better with a hatchet. So get a hatchet. Um, I prefer, I use a lot of Grand Spores Brooks uh, hatchets, but I don't give a shit. There's plenty of good ones out there. Get a hand forged one. They're not expensive. You can get a good one for 150 bucks and it will last you a lifetime. So don't buy a knife bigger than your dick. And if you're serious about fieldcraft, get, get a hatchet. hatchet. I Love like it. That. That's, That's a good, good. one. Yep. Uh, all right. My number four is similar mental trick, but this is 
get an expensive looking, it doesn't have to be expensive, get a nice glass decanter, something that would look appropriate, uh, let's say, in the background of an office of the show Boardwalk Empire, okay? okay. Get a nice glass decanter and fill it with your run-of-the-mill twenty nine ninety nine bullet bourbon or whatever <laughs> bourbon that's your daily sipper or not very expensive. This is not about tricking your company into thinking that you're fancy. This is about how you feel when you pour your whiskey out of it. Mm. It makes you feel a little special, like you're, you're a little fancier than you are, like you're really treating yourself good. Uh, it's just something that I've been doing for the last year, and it's, it's really brought a little joy to my life. There you go. I like that. Nice. Very nice. Forrest, what else you got? All right. This is my probably my most diabolical and cynical piece of advice. It is... It's something that makes you feel better than everybody else, which is, it's just a wonderful feeling. It's when there's two lanes of traffic and you know that the highway is going to split. You don't line up in the long traffic line. You stay in the parallel lane, skip the whole line, and then slow down right before the exit, turn on your blinker, wait for people to part, and jump in. And you're just like, yep. I saved eight minutes of my life, and I'm better than you. And I, you guys didn't think of this, and I did. And I know this is a shitty thing to do, but I'm doing wow. it anyway, and I'm going to embrace it and feel good about it. You are so L.A. You are so L.A. <laughs> I don't live in L.A. <laughs> I hate L.A. But exactly. <laughs> it just feels so good. You like you put your arm out. They let you into the lane. You look back at that long line of cars that you just avoided, and you're like, yep. I outsmarted all these other people. <laughs> so if I can just a quick a quick aside, I'm uh, I tend to be late to things. It's a problem I have. It's rude. It's a behavior that I abhor in other people. But I'm often <laughs> late. And very early in my career as a lower level producer, I was given a big opportunity by who, a woman who turned out to be like my mentor when it came to producing, and it was to direct a voiceover session. And she said she looked me in the eye the morning before and said you can't be late because she wasn't going to show up. And I said, I know. I said, I won't be. I was running terribly late and I lived in Sherman Oaks and there's a horrible freeway split where 101, you have to merge onto the 405 South. Yep. And I That's was horrible. so Literally the exact one I was thinking. Yeah. Of, by the way. It's, the, it's one of the worst ones in all of Los Angeles. It's so sure. bad. And I, and, and I never do what Forrest just said. And it's very difficult to do because people who make that morning commute are like, Banded together. We're not letting you in. (laughs) And I was so freaked out and worried about fucking up this opportunity that I literally, my only thought was I have a really realistic from a movie set prop gun. And I was like, I have to bring this in the car and use it to get in. (laughs) And so like, you know, as I was like pulling up to do the merge, I was like, wait a minute, like you're, that's a felony. You'll go to prison. I didn't do 100%, it. 100%. That is a crime, <laughs> sir. Yeah. But that was my thought. I was late. I was chastised, but it all worked out in the end. So, so, uh, your, so, so, your, so your next advice was carry a prop gun? Yeah. No, no, it was just an aside. All right, BTG, what's your number three? Do you, do you remember back in like the, the 90s when everyone was getting shot on the 10? Yeah. And people, you know, the road rage, and it was just people were shooting everybody. It was a damn thing. I had a crash in a rental car. I rear-ended a Volvo because I was trying to navigate with a map and my watch because there's no GPS back then and no mobile phones. And uh, and the abuse, I thought, wow, I'm going to be shot by a, by a Volvo. This is not how this <laughs> right. wants to go. Right. Um, 
I'm gonna, okay, my, my third piece of advice starts off general, but then I'll get more specific. Uh, and this is for young men and women, but everybody, but, but certainly as a young man, I, I, I did this and it, it changed my life. Learn how to cook. Yeah, uh, there you go. Take cooking lessons. I've, I've gone through, I, 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 did, I, did, I did home economics. I did cooking at school to meet girls. Uh, my best right. mate and I like, Smart. do I want to make, a, do I wanna make a, a piece of shit birdhouse in, in, in woodshop or do I want to meet girls? So, so we, we, we were the only two guys that went and did what they called in those days home economics. And it was fantastic. Uh, the only thing that ruined our plan was, unbeknownst to us, my best friend's sister graduated as a teacher and took over the class, and she was 100% onto us. And so she split us up, and we, we didn't sure. have great success. Having said that, we were never going to have great success. But <laughs> I learned the fundamentals of cooking. And then when I left the army, uh, I didn't want to just eat slop anymore. I, I took uh, French cooking lessons. I went to another cooking school. It was a lot of fun. I learned the basics. Now I can make a good meal. Um, at home now, a little one, I do most of the cooking and I enjoy it. Um, so learn how to cook is the broad thing. That's a good one though. Even before that, what I would say is learn something that makes you feel happy. Learn one dish, a simple dish that makes you feel happy. And the easiest one I could think of was pancakes. Learn how to make pancakes from scratch. And I'm going to give you a really simple recipe that I use. It's super, it's, 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 it's so easy. So write this down, uh, or rewind it and play it back. It's, and this is, this is enough for one smallish person. So I double this for myself and I triple it if my wife and daughter are eating. So it's, it's so easy. One cup of plain flour. Okay. Two tablespoons of sugar. This is the, this is the key thing. Two teaspoons of baking powder. So okay. go and get your Arm & Hammer baking powder, and that's what makes them fluffy, okay? Yep. So two teaspoons of baking powder, half a teaspoon of salt, just a pinch of salt makes a big difference. Uh, one cup of milk. So same, whatever flour in, that's how much milk you put in. And then uh, two decent slabs or two tablespoons of butter. You melt that. One egg or two egg, it's up to you. Mix it all together, and you're golden. Um. It couldn't be any easier than that. Flour, sugar, baking powder, salt, milk, butter. You mix that all together, it'll taste 20 times better than whatever shit you do in the shake and bake stuff, <laughs> the instant stuff from the supermarket. So if you can make pancakes from scratch and then you put on that whatever you want, yeah. bananas, maple syrup, Definitely learn maple how to syrup. make pancakes from scratch and every weekend <laughs> becomes special. Simple tips. Go. These are called little joys. My, yep. my number three is sort of another mindset thing as an older guy who made tons of financial mistakes when I was in my 20s. What I would say is feel free, spend your money on food and travel. Never regretted, I've never regretted a cent I spent on food or travel. Find other places to save, right? That's so like, I like I, I'm, I'm not, I've never looked back and been like, yeah, I'm really glad when I was 27, I, I splurged for that pair of jeans that I don't even know where it is now. Right. Right. But, right. but I'm like, oh, that road trip was amazing. Or like, yep. I'm so glad yeah, we went and hiked around Kauai. Or I, I remember expensive meals that made me nervous because I had spent the money. I was like, why did I spend $200 on that awesome meal when I was in New York City for a night? Now, nah, when you look back, food and travel are the two you'll never regret. That's a good tip. I like that. I like that. It's so true, though. And people get in their heads about it. They're like, oh, I can't spend that on that dinner, blah, blah, blah. Fuck it. Just do it. Who cares? You'll be fine. Yep. You'll be dining out on those dining out stories forever. Mind you, it does seem ironic coming from you and your true religion leather pants, but I I respect (laughs) it nonetheless. Good point. Forrest, what's Um, your fourth tip? 
All right, so if, you, if you're like me, I, I'm very, I have problems with self-control, and I'm very impulsive, okay? If I'm, if I'm being healthy, no. if I'm on a, on a bender, <laughs> no. If I'm on a, if I'm on like a health bender, won't touch a piece of candy, you know, no sugar, nothing. If I'm going the opposite, I'm like, yeah, I'll have two burgers for dinner. Fuck it. Um, you know, so I found, there's a helpful tip, put a treat on your actual grocery store list. So when you're going to the grocery store, you're like, I'm going to get a Snickers. And then instead of walking around the grocery store and piling in candy and sugary cereals or just picking up plain skinless, boneless chicken breasts, you're like, all right, I'm going to buy a normal amount of groceries and one treat for myself. And you look forward to that treat. You write it down on the grocery list. You're excited about it from when you write it down till you get back in the car and you start eating it on your drive home. Love it. Love it. Yep. BTG, what do you got? You got two more. All right. My number four is uh, invest in your feet. Um, ah, good, that's one. A good one. I learned this. I learned this as a soldier. You know, uh, looking after your feet. Good socks. Good boots. Look, looking after your boots. That's um, a good one. You know, your feet embrace the earth. They take you everywhere you're going to go in life. Look after them, and so that means buy fewer shoes. Um, and better quality shoes and maintain them. Um, I can look at someone and in two seconds know they're an amateur in the field by what they're wearing on their feet because they got all these fancy Gore-Tex, Bear Grylls, fucking padded pants and bullshit. Yep. And then they've got a pair of some sort of modified sneaker and it's just like, you're not going to last a day out here. Um, what's, your, your uh, be- what's your go-to? I mean, I know it's different for different environments, but is there a brand right. that you love? Uh Mm, yeah, I mean, there is and there isn't. I mean, I like the Arcteryx winter boots. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I, I wear those in Alaska all the time. When mm-hmm. Pat and I are up there, I went through two pairs. The early version, the rubber was peeling off a little bit. Um, but um, no, I like the Arcteryx winter gear. And then I got to tell you, I, I use a lot of military surplus boots yeah. for desert conditions. And in desert, what you want is a softer sole that's thicker. It's going to absorb the heat and take the paint out with the rocks. I always rip out the... Uh, I forget the inner sole, and insert, I put in yeah. an aftermarket higher quality one. Uh, being a big man and a heavy man, and having had a lot of knee surgeries and so forth, I don't want to get additional pain fatigue from jarring through my ankles and my knees. So I, I, I put in a you know a twenty thirty dollar decent really nice pair of aftermarket inner soles. Um, but and that's getting to my broader point, which is there is no all purpose boot. That's just sales bullshit. Hundred um, percent. No you want thing. a wet Not and cold boot. You want a wet and cold boot, you want a hot desert boot, you want a jungle boot that's self-clean that has vents for the water to come out when you walk through a river. So invest in your feet. Um, it should be the most expensive piece of, of gear that you put 100%. on when yeah. you head out into the 100%. bush. If, if you cheat on your feet, your whole expedition is going to go down the toilet. Uh, it's a hot trek. It's Kenetrek boots. I don't know if you've ever tried Kenetrex. BTG. I know I like Kenetrex. Oh yeah. my god, I love for desert stuff. It's not and mountaineering desert, as well, they, they, but. Um, yeah, but they're too light. They're too light for the cold and wet, but they're 100%. great for the for the rocky and for the, the hot. Rocky desert stuff, which is where I do the majority of my stuff. Yeah, I love my can, and they're four hundred dollars for a pair of boots, but you have them for ten years instead of paying you sixty do. bucks a year. You know, it's 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 the I love them. Anyway, well, I learned I, like, yeah, I like, learned something yeah, from three, you, like Forrest. They're all like that when yeah. we were doing the snowy, the, the Rocky Mountain Wolf, because I, you know. The cold toes can ruin a fucking day, man, especially when you're you oh, know, yeah. 16 hours and that's oh, all yeah. you can think about. I, you, do, you do muck boots in the snow. Yeah, yeah. I like muck boots and thick, thick socks because they stay dry no matter what. You know, like gum boots, BTG. 
Um, they stay oh, dry. Oh, is that no what you call them? Muck boots? Yeah, gum boots. Yeah, well, yeah. Wellingtons, whatever they call them. Wellingtons, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they stay dry no matter what. You can do, you know, if you get a size up a bit, you can get like four layers of socks on so your feet stay really warm. Um, you can that. buy insulated ones as well, but yeah, no, I love muck boots for the snow. You can get you can get a high level one. There's the, a number of British companies do them, and they actually have a steel tang in the in the sole. So oh, it, interesting. It, it, you, they're a little bit better on the rocks as well. No, no, no. Huh. If I was, I, I 100% agree. They they're fantastic. In fact, when we were in Alaska, Pat, you had a look at all the Klingit people. That's yep. what they wear. Yep, yeah. everywhere. I know. And and if, if I, I don't know anyone who's more suited to those conditions than they are. So, right. uh, you know, I, I respect that. But no, good point. But definitely choosing your boots. People have one pair of boots. It's insane. You're better yep. off to have one pair of pants than one pair of boots. Agreed. Yep. My, mine is, uh, this is another food one. It sort of touches on BTG's uh, herb garden. Buy a $20 battery-operated pepper mill. I oh, yeah. put, I mean, everything I eat, if just a simple <laughs> fucking hard-boiled egg that's out of the fridge, a shitty thing that I microwaved, whatever, you get some good peppercorns in there, give it a little zhuzh. It makes, ev- pepper goes great on everything, but not that shitty stuff that comes out of the shaker. A battery-operated pepper mill will change your entire kitchen game for $20. That's it's my like, it's like grinding your own coffee. It's like sure. another level. It, the flavor, you get a flavor yep. bounce. Oh, yep. I love that. No, yep. I love That's that. A good one. And it's it's uh, it's like your own dickhead waiter at the restaurant. <laughs> exactly. Do you, do you want some pepper? Now, obviously, I want pepper. I'm holding this, so it's uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, Forrest. What's your last little joy? My last little joy, and this is one that it's hard to do. I I I'm preaching something that I only get to do very very rarely, but it's. Something I love more, every year I love it more and more, and it's something I can only do maybe once or twice a year, and it means the world to me. A hammock nap. You find oh, a nice hammock, yes. and you take a nap in it. it you, you, usually it has to be a warm environment. Don't ever spend the night in a hammock. I don't believe anybody that says they spend a night well in a hammock. I've seen people do it. I can't stand it. But for an hour, 45 minutes, hour and a half nap, in the shade, yeah. in a hammock, oh my, I am dead to this world. An earthquake, the ground could split underneath me and envelop the planet, a meteor could strike, my whole family could be killed, I wouldn't budge, <laughs> I wouldn't notice it. Nope, not, not a chance. If I am napping in a hammock, I am in pure ecstasy. Um, Good. Take a little, a take one. a little hammock nap if you can get the opportunity. Wow, I, I was with you until your family died. <laughs> yeah, it's a little of, extreme. <laughs> I thought, wow, that and the cutting in and the traffic. I'm like, no. Nope, this guy's out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have a hammock out the back. Uh, I 100% go. agree. And uh, just, just yeah, one of those ones. I don't, we don't have big trees at the back, so I just got on one of those bracket things. And, yeah. uh, and I, I couldn't agree more. I get a good <sighs> book. Sit out right. there, read the book. I, yep. I last maybe fifteen minutes, yep. and then the I just look like a, someone, oh. like a, like a hop seal hunter, just clubbed me in the head, and I just down. It's, <laughs> it's the best. So good, and you wake uh, up feeling refreshed. It's not like when you get into bed for a nap, and then it takes you three hours to wake oh up again. God. I don't know. Yeah. Just a hammock nap. It's just the best. Good one. Mm. All right, PTG. What's that. your last one here? Um, this is going to go back to more of a mental state thing with some practical tips, but. I think it's really important to go through life with a mindset that you are going to discover something interesting that day and to to wake up assuming that you're going to see something cool you've never seen before. 
And if you think that, then it's much more likely to happen. And you've seen me or heard me criticize, uh, you know, a lot of cryptid shows uh, where they don't find anything at all. Like they don't find Bigfoot, obviously, but they don't even <laughs> find anything else. Right. And right. and that shows why it's completely fake because you can't really be in the forest or anywhere else and not find things you haven't seen before. Yeah. I remember we were in Madagascar and we weren't. We were looking for all sorts of the usual exotic lemurs and 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 and, uh, and reptiles and whatever else, and just found this massive forest style on a tree, and it was just really fun. Yeah. Um, wasn't and that's and that's part of the joy of life is is discovering new things new to you anyway, and so one of the ways I remind myself of that and I encourage you to do this is I, I just carry a coin with me, just a, a standard coin. This is a quarter, an American quarter, twenty five cent piece. Um, for those who are not Americans, and <laughs> it's a standard coin. Everybody knows what it weighs and how wide it is. And I carry this because I have a dream of discovering a new species of beetle or a new species of insect. And 10,000 new insects are identified on average every year, every year. And I want to be one of those one day. I want to be the guy that discovers this new thing. So you have a coin, you see the bug, you put the coin down beside it, you take a photo with your smartphone, and now you have a scale reference that means something to, to be verified by somebody else. And so it's a simple tip, carry a coin as a frame of reference, but mentally it tells me that today is gonna be a good day. I'm gonna see something I've never seen before, and it doesn't matter where you are, in the middle of a busy city, in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a rainforest, halfway up a glacier, it doesn't matter. That mental state of being on a journey of discovery, of being, some kind of explorer makes you happier and you oh, like yeah. because you know there are surprises waiting for you around the corner. And, so and that's you're my ready tip. for it, right? When you have the you're coin, it, it means you're, you're anticipating it. So even if right. that anticipation lasts 10 years, it doesn't matter because you're still anticipating it. You're gonna be, and, that's, and that's how life is, right? Yeah. You, you, it's, as they used to say in the army, you know, uh, prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> Having that preparation ready mentally puts you in the space to succeed. And it doesn't matter if I don't get it today, tomorrow, whatever, it's gonna happen. But you know, between the three of us, we've all seen things that we've never imagined we were gonna, we didn't go there for that. I remember coming yeah. across a rough scale newt in Alaska, you know, one of the most yeah. deadly neurotoxins uh, in, in America. It just, and because it's so, it's so poisonous, uh, that it didn't bother to write. It's just like, yeah, whatever, pick me up, fool. Right. And uh, I was wearing gloves. I, and I was just like, this is so cool. I'm there to track bears. And I had this happy moment with this incredibly deadly neurotoxin-filled newt. I just thought it was the best. And you know what? The other day, I don't know if you followed this story, uh, I was thinking of you guys immediately because it was a perfect extinct or alive. The new Holland mouse, which we haven't seen yeah. for 17 yeah, I years. I posted about it, yeah. <laughs> just popped up on Flinders Island in uh, uh -huh. Tasmania, where I'm from, and it just is a gorgeous little native marsupial mouse. It's it's got a it's a, it's basically a marshmallow on legs, and it just bang. I'm just like, oh, it's so cool. That's the kind of little thing. It just brings you so much joy. So yeah, nice. That's, five. that's a good one. Love it. I'm Love gonna it. even go deeper than BTG just did. Pine mm -hmm. pine scented candles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what deep. I, what I want you to do is, there's a place in LA called Home Goods, which is like a much cheaper version of like, uh, like a Pier One Imports. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got one right over here in my garage. They're $7.99 each. The great thing about a pine scented candle is, you know, you live inside, uh, like I grew up in the Northeast, we had tons of pine trees everywhere, mm -hmm. right? And it's one of the things that I really miss. 
And when I see a neighborhood in LA that has pine trees, I'm always like very jealous that people can afford those houses because I can't, but you just keep them with the lid off. You don't even have to light them. Mm. And you walk into the, every time I come into the garage now, I get a little whiff of pine and it makes me feel like I've done something outdoors, even though I haven't yet because I'm stuck inside, you know, on my computer, I have one on my desk in my office. It's just an absolute treat. It's a year round item, not only at Christmas time. Okay. Treat yourself to two or three pine scented candles, leave them in places around your house, leave the lid off. It'll, Very nice. it'll help you connect with the outdoors a little bit when you're inside. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I, I, I only have one rule with candles, and that is um, I don't want any candles that smell like food. So oh, yeah, I, just get, hu- I just get hungry. Is so that you even get a me thing? Like a pu- Do they make food? Yeah, yeah. No, no, they like get pizza candles, candles. Pu- yeah. pumpkin pie, and oh, I yeah, just like, right. and I just chocolate, and then I just, you know, I just the digestive juices just corroding my visceral <laughs> cavity. Uh, I, my favorite one when I used to go to hospital, get obviously I've been there many, you know, twenty something one times for surgeries. When I come back, I'm all messed up and I can't move and I'm bleeding out of my butt. <laughs> what I like is. Um, I like tube roses, and you can get tube rose candles or, or uh, roses of the valley. Smells so fresh, and again, you feel like you're outdoors a little bit. You know, like when you drink diet coke and you get that chlorine aftertaste, makes you feel like you've swum fifty laps. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's a yeah, little, it's go. a little trick, and it just feels good. Yeah. Uh, but I love that. I like, I love that pine smell. I love that idea a lot. There you go. Uh, let us know, Brosners, if you loved or hated this segment. Also, let uh, let us all know if you try any of our little joys and if they yeah. bring a little joy to your life. Forrest, <laughs> what? A, let's let's. We got to wrap up soon here. Any uh, closing closing thoughts? No, it's it's you know my closing thoughts are I'm super stoked to have BTG on the sh- on the on the show with us. Uh, loving Adventure Beast, I really am. I'm not just saying that. I'm four or five episodes in. It's really a lot of fun. I, I love the blend of humor with you know wildlife knowledge, and that's what's great is you get to you don't have to be a wildlife dork to watch it. You can just want to sit around and watch something for the fun of watching it, and you come out of there going, "Wow, I just learned something about numbat mothers." Um, or whatever it happens to be. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, BTG, for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. And one of these days, we got to all figure out a way to get out into the field and do something together. Oh, for sure. Well, absolute pleasure to be here. I look forward to coming on the podcast all the time. I'll be back. Uh, You're in for a treat, Forrest, because episode five, I think, is my favorite. It blows up the misconceptions about uh, wildlife, sex, and gender, which is hilarious. Because most of us, just awkwardly sat through sex ed at school or with our yeah. parents or some of us at Sunday school. And we learned all this bullshit mythology stuff. Um, I was going through my ancient Greek books and seeing some of the observations of early field biologists, you know, from, uh, you know, a thousand years ago. And they had identified some of the things that we know today, you know, like female hyenas have the false penis yeah. and the false mm-hmm. testicles. And, right. and uh, the females engage in, uh, you know, cunnilingus. And, and it was just all these things. They didn't have it exactly right, but they knew kind of what they were seeing. But in their mm-hmm. mind, they went, oh, the females become males. And, right. they, and, and now there are plenty of animals that do that. You right. know, ribbon mores all start as males and then become females. Rasses, the biggest rass, the biggest clownfish yeah. go from mm-hmm. male to female. Grouper can go male, female, male, female, as often as they want. But it was just, I, I think it's my, my favorite episode just because so many people are shocked that That's how cool. queer the planet is and how things really are 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. So you're in for a treat episode five. Nice. Thanks for the love about the show. Congratulations on your new show, which is awesome. Oh, thanks. And man. and uh, I just can't believe uh, this is our year. I mean, we get yeah. shows coming out everywhere. Yeah. But Tim's yeah, not here. This is the I best know. fucking day ever. Ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lovely to see you both. The Luca, yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course. And uh, just I love to come back on whenever you'll have me. I just uh, love it. Yeah, man. Awesome. And uh, check out Bradley at Tasmanian underscore Grizzly with two Z's. It's a great Instagram follow. Um, obviously, Forrest, you probably already follow him if you're listening to this, because how else would you have found this show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if you like the podcast, we'll put the link to the Patreon, uh, where we do four extra video podcasts a month and an AMA and all sorts of shit. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's all get together and hang out. You know, we should do it. Yes. Hundred percent. We must. All right. Let's do it. Let's 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 get some let's get some drunk white trash monkeys and have at it. Yeah. I think we I think we Throw will. Bananas at Ritap. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>